Welcome to another episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. This is one of your hosts, Craig Schober, and I'm joined here uh, with my brother, Scott Schober. He's over there on the west, on the sorry, on the east coast. Scott, hey, say hi, Scott, to all the listeners out there. <laughs> hey, everybody! Great to great to join you from uh, sunny New Jersey today on the east coast. Looking forward to another episode, Craig. Yeah, me too. Um, just want to give a quick rundown uh for anyone tuning in right now just so they can evaluate if they want to fast forward past the first story or not or you know we all have our our uh, predilections for our favorite types of news so uh first one is a kind of a joint cybersecurity advisory from uh, cisa nsa fbi all warning about um uh, possible uh, hacking groups and rem- remote control the control industrial devices. Um, second story we got today is on about wind turbines. So if you're into green energy, you might want to stay tuned for that and find out how these turbines could be getting hacked and manipulated by hackers. Uh, third story we got um, uh, there's evidence found there's a, a ransomware uh, called Lockbit and the uh, uh, U.S. government. Uh, is a warning about that and there's been compromised and logs retrieved and we'll we'll get into all those details when we when we hit that story Uh, but first before we hit our first story we we want to um, let our listeners know that this episode as well as the past episode uh, was sponsored by dark kryptonite Um, now dark kryptonite is a uh, kind of a new service by uh, uh, Cyberlytica. Uh, 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 I guess Cyberlytica is one of the groups behind it. I'm not sure if it's if it's their thing officially or not. But anyway, you can learn more about this dark kryptonite, which stops ransomware, malware, phishing attacks in their tracks, um, and it uh, it can be found on. Uh, Dark, dark kryptonite.com dark, com, yeah and that's yeah. kryptonite with a c um so go check it out and learn all about their new things i don't know if this thing's available yet i'm not sure what the price is we're you know it's very hush hush at this stage <laughs> but you can learn about more of it and you can of course you can contact um these guys and find out even more information than they're posted on the website yeah and just just to jump in there craig because mm-hmm. i i had a nice uh conversation with the actual founders of dark kryptonite and just to give them a shout out about bob schiff uh tyler cohen wood and then also uh ken and ken Muir. and and it was a nice conversation because i learned a little bit more about some of the stuff that they're doing and it's pretty exciting so i encourage people certainly check out darkkryptonite.com and again kryptonite spelled with a c and you could learn a little bit more how they're, you know, combating cybercrime and fraud and information warfare. They referred to it, and I, I got to see some uh, some of the block diagrams and how the system actually works and some of the things that they're actually doing. They call it the world's first digital fortress, which is kind of cool because it's used a lot, utilizing um, advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. So. Uh, this is not just another cybersecurity company that we always hear about because uh, there's lots of cybersecurity companies that have deal with zero trust and have unique algorithms or advanced threat detection. They're doing something that's kind of unique in a niche. 
So I encourage people to reach out to them and uh, have a chat with them, learn a little bit more, especially because we're going to talk a little bit about ransomware today. And they've actually got technologies available here and now that actually combats and stops ransomware attacks, which is, which again, very novel and unique. So mm -hmm. exciting tech, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll be hearing more from them and we'll be talking about them. Yeah. Um, first story we got here comes from uh, bleepingcomputer.com. And a couple things jumped out at me for this one. Uh, first, let me just read their headline just so we get everyone on the same page. Uh, the, on the on bleeping computer site itself, uh, US warns of government hackers targeting industrial control systems. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me is the, the industrial control systems actually, because uh, there's ICS, which is uh, industrial control systems. And then they also mentioned SCADA uh, and I always forget this this acronym, but uh, what is a SCADA? It's a supervisory control and mm -hmm. data acquisition. And the reason why it jumped out at me is because one of our our products actually at Berkeley, it's not a security product. It's more of a test product. Uh, deals with this this IoT devices and and mm -hmm. setting up wireless networks to m you measure the throughput and all those things. And that's uh, that's our octopus. Uh, you know, it's a 4G LTE signal meter. Um, so that, that remind, reminded me of that. And I don't know if you want to, I don't know if there's any connection that you see, any tie in between security and just kind of straight up measurement. But I know, um, you know, some of the same, uh, some of the same uh, people are probably engaged in, in both of those arenas because of the nature of IoT and wireless or, or wired and, and whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. I think uh, interesting because if you look back at the history of, of the SCADA, it's really different means of of getting data from sensors and things. That, to me, it reminds me of the early days of IoT in a sense. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of success in in probably uh, energy sector, uh, oil sector, and, and and large companies that are really buried in 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 you know. The, the Rockwells, the Siemens, Schneider Electric, uh, Honeywell, General Electric, they've all, they're, they're, they're the backbone of a lot of these huge systems that are at the energy plants for, for SCADA, where they have da data acquisition. So they're using that data to, to route energy, to, to maintain systems, and all kinds of great information. It's really the early days of what I call big data, and it really parallels the the internet of things but it's really the industrial internet of things iiot which we don't talk about as much but a lot of these scatter systems are a little bit more legacy they're old school they're tied in with a lot of of windows based systems that again are legacy so they don't get the software patches and updates so to some degree there's security by obscurity because it's using older stuff, but the bad part is they can be exploited by hackers. So if a hacker is targeting uh, a particular energy system, they want to take down part of the grid or, or water um, systems or, or anything like that, guess what? They're going to be targeting some of these industrial control systems. And, and I think that ties in nicely with, with, with what this story talks about here, because um, it is a vulnerability out there. And I think not enough has been done to upgrade a lot of these SCADA systems. They have done some things and it's gotten safer. Oftentimes they're 
connected to the internet, but they can also be isolated or siloed. So they're not going through the internet to keep some of the data secure. So it's some interesting nuances on how they actually collect the data and get it out there so they can make informed decisions there. But in, in this particular case, I think when you see that there's an advisory issued, it, it kind of gets your antennas up there and mm-hmm. it looks like that it's, it, it's fairly serious. Yeah. And they go so far as to even compare it to um, uh, energy stations in Ukraine getting shut down and even going back to the Iranian nuclear program. Yeah. Um, all, you know, all those stories. I mean, that, that story is probably over 10 years old, right? The Stuxnet thing and, and oh, that yeah, kind the of Stuxnet, stuff. I mean, technically Stuxnet is really the first, um, I call it the first cyber attack that really took place. It kind of, to me, it, it kind of set a line in the stand. This is like almost the start of cyber war. It was, I guess you've got the U.S. and you've got the Israeli forces working together to target the nuclear enrichment that was being uh, was undergoing with Iran, not for generating power, but more likely nuclear weapons. And and it really, I guess, if you, if you look back, I think we talked about it a little bit in Hacked Again. We shared it, um, some of the history in the background. It gives you a nice read and overview of it. But to me, that was really the start of it, where they really. Um, they sped up and then slowed down some of the enrichment centrifuges to actually overheat the reactor. And it put a couple year damper on the development of nuclear capabilities, which was supposedly going to be used for uh, nuclear weapons that, I, that Iran was developing at the time. And uh, it was a pretty powerful statement if you think about what the United States and Israeli forces did. So that was all again paralleling a lot of this stuff here that later on later comes out about uh, ISC and, and SCADA systems and, and, and industrial sector, how they can be vulnerable to different types of hacks and how they can be exploited and the devastation that it can cause. Yeah. And just to kind of underline the, um, you know, the headline, this, this was an advisory technically it was, you know, yes, it was true. Uh, the department of energy is involved, the FBI, NSA, CISA. Um, so it hasn't been deployed. And I thought it was kind of interesting how they found this, they've been tracking it. And one of the, um, uh, I guess one of the people behind the tracking of it, this uh, CEO, uh, Robert M. Lee from Dragos, I guess the cyber, some cybersecurity group out there, he tweeted, this is, the first, uh, this is the first time I'm aware of that an industrial cyber capability has been found prior to its deployment for intended effects. This capability was designed to be disruptive, destructive in nature, and we're actually a step ahead of the adversary. So it's good to see some uh, kind of proactive uh, you know, cyber uh, security going on out there. I hope yeah. we see more of this. Um, and that, you know, <laughs> that ties perfectly into our sponsor too. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if Dark Kryptonite is doing this, but I know that they're kind of leveraging these um, uh, uh, dark, dark web things going on the dark web. They're looking at patterns. They're looking at uh, zero trust models and the blockchain and, and, anticipating they're they're finding things hopefully before they strike you know hopefully before that that zero day exploit it, you know they pull the trigger on that um yeah. and that's at uh, uh dark kryptonite.com you can learn more kryptonite with a c um 
So and I wanted to jump in there too, Craig, yeah, sure. and just, just throw out there. It was interesting because you mentioned it was Robert Lee at, at Dragos. Mm-hmm. I talked a little bit last year at uh, RSA uh, with uh, David DeWalt, who also was, is associated with Dragos and from, from the uh, uh, management and the investing side there and, and funding side. And uh, certainly a very interesting company. Some of the cool stuff that, that Dragos has been doing there and they're working in conjunction with uh, some of these large municipalities and, and energy companies dealing with uh, industrial controls. And uh, it's, it's pretty amazing that they could get in there and see so many things as far as when, when other hackers are getting in and trying to exploit these vulnerabilities. And if there are great companies out there that are actually doing a lot of stuff to monitor these systems 24 seven, and then they could flag it and they can actually prevent some of these things because even though there are so many vulnerabilities, they're stopping the power from being shut off. The, the, you know, the, the, the sewers and, and the water and the electric and all these things that we really take for granted day in, day out, they protect it. And I think that's such an important factor and they work close uh, uh, with uh, uh, CISA and NSA, FBI, and the Department of Energy. So mm-hmm. I think that's an important factor to, to, for everybody to realize, the listeners, there are companies out there that are partnering and working with these federal organizations to make a difference to keep us safe. So we can turn that faucet and the water does come out. We can turn the light switch on and the electric does work. But there are a lot of vulnerabilities. They cannot be simply um, disappeared in a second. You know, we have to live with the infrastructure that we have, which is very dated throughout the United States. But the, just the fact that there are companies working so closely with government agencies, to me, it, it helps alleviate some of these concerns. I think the more challenging situations are when there are countries such as Ukraine that are targeted by Russia, for example, in a cyber war, that's really hard for them to monitor and to prevent malware from getting into the systems and shutting down these energy grids or causing other havoc um, to the public infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Ukraine and the war and stuff that gets any companies involved with that, they get, they're getting press releases now they're getting, they're making the headlines mm-hmm. and, you know, that's good on them. But the, the also like these companies you mentioned, they, they're kind of the real heroes because they're doing things behind the scenes. And, you know, when they're working with, the gov the u.s government they want to keep you know whether it's good news or bad news generally they want to keep they want to make it no news because they don't want the bad guys to have any leg up on what they know or what they could be doing so to work use your resources and um your company your even your brand you know to use these things behind the scenes and helping the u.s government for news that might never see the light of day you know that's commendable i think Um, yeah Absolutely. Um, well, that brings us to our next story, um, which is a uh, involves, I guess, energy infrastructure. Uh, so another type of infrastructure, in a sense. Um, this one comes from 
uh, Security Week, and their mm-hmm. headline is Wind Turbine Giant Nordex Scrambling to Recover from Cyber Attack. Uh, I don't know Nordex, but I imagine I've seen some of their work. We, we get a lot of these uh, turbine, wind turbine farms driving through um, the desert. I'm on the West Coast here sure. in California. Whenever I travel from uh, we tra- uh, uh, Kelly's father lives in Las Vegas. So we travel there and back, you know, once every mm. few months visiting. I see solar farms and I see wind farms everywhere because you get those you get those you know, wild winds, desert winds blowing up, and I'm sure they generate uh, their fair amount of electricity, nowhere near as much as you're going to get from uh, more, you know, conventional, you know, fossil fuel things, uh, you know, energy structures. But um, yeah, in in this case, uh, Nordics is a, uh, a German company, and they provide these giant wind turbines. And uh, again, I think as you dig into the story here, the interesting part, I think it was reported on later, even after the story, but this is really the infamous pro-Russian Conti ransomware gang. And I reported some of the, the hacks and things they've done this week in a, in a series. I do uh, a ransomware minute for cybercrime magazine on the radio on um, cybercrime radio. And it's interesting because they were able to actually shut down the whole internal IT systems of Nordics, this wind turbine company, and they, they had no ability to remotely access the turbines. And if, if you think about wind turbines, everything is about remote access. So, cause you really need to understand how much energy you're generating, how much you're feeding to the grid, understanding the kilowatt capacity there, because the wind changes. It, it's mm. not constant. It's not going to be a steady 20 miles per hour and you know what your business model is and how much you generate. And, and there's also a service side to the wind turbine business that I didn't realize until I started doing research on this story, which I thought was really interesting. But may, maybe just to share a few average things, just to put it in perspective, if you, and we're not talking about small little, you know, uh, wind farms on, uh, uh, you know, a person's property where they're trying to just generate stuff, but we're talking about commercial wind farms, a a commercial average size wind turbine, say about two megawatts that costs about maybe two and a half to $4 million, just the cost of the wind turbine. That's really expensive. And in some of these cases, a two megawatt uh, wind turbine could produce three, $400,000 a year in profit, in energy generation, um, once it's up and running. Now, again, I'm talking about a single, a single turbine. Now, if you put out a wind farm and you've got dozens, or in some cases, when I've driven actually out by you, Craig, I've seen it. And even throughout Europe, there were different pockets in France. I've saw in Germany, um, unbelievable hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of wind turbines actively moving, just, just generating energy, which is pretty impressive, especially when we're talking about um, the things that, that happen with this Russia, Ukraine, the price of, of, of fuel going up. If you have the infrastructure there where you could generate 10, 20% of your energy from wind turbines, that makes a really, really big difference. Uh, so I think that it's just kind of cool to under, understand that. But the fact that they were targeted and suffered this recent cyber attack, what does that translate to? I have no idea. But just basing it upon the numbers, if a single wind turbine could produce 
you know, three, $400,000 a year, this could be devastating if you take out the remote access and all the monitoring capabilities for any prolonged period of time. And you've got a significant number of these uh, wind turbines. Wow. Devastating. Yeah. And these aren't going anywhere. Uh, we're going to see more of this uh, green energy or alternative energy, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. Uh, I just saw a story about um, a new wind farm being proposed off the uh, coast, for actually 43 miles off the coast of Washington, on, you know, over wow. on the West Coast. Grays, Grays Harbor County. Uh, what is this? Proposal includes up to 2,000 megawatts of electricity, enough for Jeez. about 800,000 homes. So That's they can... Nice. Yeah, they could hide these things. I mean, they're not really hiding them, but 43 miles off the coast, it's not really visible to anyone. Talk about remote, remote control mm -hmm. access and those type of things. That stuff becomes really critical, like you were talking about before, um, you know, monitoring all the uh, uh, the wattage, the output and the vital controls, wind speeds and all those things. Uh, I guess hackers might have to go out there in a boat if they wanted to. Uh, you know, cause any trouble if they wanted, you know, uh, access to, to device <laughs> or something, or maybe they have a really strong transmitter and they could somehow interrupt it or, or plant some malware on, uh, whatever. I don't want to give them any more ideas, but, um, <laughs> don't give them any ideas. <laughs> yeah. yeah but the there idea. is a lot of yeah. things to do. And I, I think the future just to, 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 to build on what you were saying is the, the fact that wind turbines, there's there's a lot of wind far off the coast that's away and away enough from the, the the fleet traffic of boats going in and out. I mean the big tankers and other things still have to be leery, but they can actually build pockets of wind turbines out in the middle of the ocean and generate a ton of electricity and feed that with underground cables back to large cities. And when you're taking care of hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses. I think that's a beautiful idea and it's truly green. It is very expensive up front, but once you have that installation cost and, and there's some maintenance, the average wind turbine, when I was doing research earlier, costs between fifty dollars to $80,000 a year just to maintain. And that's on land. So when you're out to sea, you have additional costs there. So it's not that it's cheap, but it, it translates to a lot of energy, especially when you have steady winds that are off the coast out in the middle of the sea, because you, when you have no trees or buildings or, or infrastructure just to block the, the, the air, you can get nice steady breezes. You can generate a lot more energy from that. And now I guess your cost per kilowatt goes down significantly and it becomes very efficient. And, and I commend these companies that are really looking toward the future of making the planet more green and coming up with solutions like this, because it makes total sense. But at the same time, it's sad because hackers don't really care what they're targeting. If it's an old lady and they're going to steal their, her credit card, if it's a business they're trying to take under, if it's a Fortune 500 company, if it's a, a remote wind turbine farm that's doing good for the planet, they're out for the money. And that's what the sad part, I think, is. And, and we can't underscore enough that it's important that everybody does what they can, because as, as we always say with our second book, cybersecurity is everybody's business. So we got to work collectively and really fight these cyber criminals so that they stop hacking into everything, especially uh, wind turbines and things. Absolutely. Um, let's uh, before we move on to our uh, third and final story, I uh, just want to mention one more time that dark kryptonite stops ransomware malware and phishing in their tracks 
um, by limiting cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Dark, dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. And you can learn more by visiting uh, www.darkkryptonite.com. That's kryptonite with a C. Uh, as opposed to the the K you, uh, that we know from Superman and <laughs> DC <laughs> Comics, um, our third story. Um, well, let me let me let me put it this way: What what would you think if you uh, found out that f- about five months uh, you you had a break in in your house and you had some you know precious you know jewelry or money or maybe computer data was was stolen and five months later you found out about that well that kind of brings us into our into this story uh from this one comes again from bleepingcomputer.com uh lockbit ransomware gang lurked in the u.s government networks for months and that months was five months according to uh sophos who who did who kind of discovered this uh this break-in and this story, uh, and, and this kind of ties into back into our, our our cyber tip of the week, which I know I think we've done this one before. We were talking about this before we started the show. Did we do this? I, I can't even keep track anymore. <laughs> but I think it bears repeating because because it comes up so much in these stories, and because it's such a threat, um, it's it's ransomware. And the this is the this story involved the kind of one two punch that we're seeing in ransomware more and more. Um, these groups, they get in there and they lurk about and they steal all the, they scrape for the, the most precious data. They see what, what can they sell? What can they, what can they trade? What, you know, and this stuff goes over the dark web. So these companies, they're having their data stolen. They don't know about it. Um, but this company, uh, uh, I should say the U S government, um, they did find out about it because they were hit with this ransomware called Lockbit. So now once this group is finished selling or trading or whatever they're doing, you know, getting squeezing kind of all the value out of the data, then they turn to the the source of the data and say, hey, by the way, we have all your stuff locked in ransomware, it's encrypted. And if you want access to it, now you're gonna have to pay a big fat ransom to us. And so they're, you know, so these these groups are double dipping. Um, I don't know. What do you uh, What do you think about that? Are you, you Are you seeing uh, Are you seeing more and more of this, be, uh, um, or is it is this kind of a rare occurrence in your in your opinion, Scott? Well, what's interesting is is and I've done a lot of stories and research on Lockbit ransomware specifically. It really emerged back in I think about 2019. They called it the ABCs of of ransomware, and it, it is is clearly the most prolific ransomware family found today if you if you look out and follow ransomware as pathetic as that sounds but i I tend to follow that there um and the reason it is is so successful is because it's it's often used as ransomware as a service so if you think about that business model how um lockbit is used the the cyber criminals have learned that they can't just from a, a standpoint of sheer numbers attack all these companies and try to get a ransom and collect Bitcoin and so on and so forth and stay off the grid. So what they do is they provide it as a service. They provide toolkits and know-how to empower startup cyber criminals to now take specific scripts and specific versions of 
Lockbit ransomware and go target select areas. And so it's, it's that much of a pyramid model. If you actually follow all the verticals and the players in it, and you see it's, it's become a very profitable business and basically they'll share a percentage of the take. So these different cyber criminals will split it up and provide ransomware as a service and handhold a cyber criminal through the process, take part of the proceeds, and they find that they're very, very successful. And Lockbit has probably been the, the model in this industry that is, is the most effective. And they probably have done the best because they've tied in not just the traditional ransomware model where they place malware, malicious software on a targeted computer when somebody clicks on an attachment and email phishing scam, but rather they they have given the one-two punch, as I call it, because what they do is a double extortion method. So it's really adding additional layers of pressure to the targeted victims and raise the stakes much higher because they pull off all of the data off of their network and off the computers first. Hmm. And that way they could, if they don't get the ransom, then they could say, hey, guess what, guys? We just stole all your data. We've exfiltrated all your data and if you don't pay me X number of Bitcoins right here, right now, I'm putting this out in the public information. And often this data that's been exfiltrated is personal information. It's credit card numbers and social security numbers and passwords and confidential information and intellectual property in a company. So it becomes very powerful when you look at something like uh, Lockbit ransomware. And now when you couple that as, as tied in with this story here, Craig, that it's, it's U.S. government agency. So uh, it's scary. And, and then the fact that they're in there so long mm. collecting and exfiltrating data, sensitive data, it can be used um, so many different ways. It doesn't become the traditional ransomware uh, four or five years ago, three, four hundred dollars in the equivalent of Bitcoin they'd get. Now you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars and in some unique cases millions of dollars that they're trying to extort out of the target that to me is concerning and and i'm glad that everybody seems to be on board especially the u.s government to fight a lot of these attacks because unfortunately it's gotten worse and, and lockbit has not gone away since 2019 it's, it's just gotten more prolific and uh been more powerful yeah, it's a disturbing trend, not going anywhere soon, I'm sure. Uh, now, this particular article, they didn't name the agency. I just said a, a unnamed government agency. But I would imagine that best practices would apply to them, just like it would apply to a home office or a private company or any other government agency for that matter. And, um, you know, Bleeping Computer here has a nice little kind of summary takeaway uh, which fits right into our uh, you know, cybersecurity tip of the week about ransomware. Uh, they said that um, implementing multi-factor authentication protection mm -hmm. would have led to a different outcome. So that's kind of, you know, for us, that's a no-brainer. We've been pounding on that drum for a while now, and it's good to see someone else pounding as well. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah. that also, I should just add in there, multi-factor authentication I have traced back in a lot of the research that I've done and, and even in the writing and in our books again and again and again, if multi-factor authentication was implemented with third-party remote access, these huge breaches such as JP Morgan, if we analyze the target data breach back in 2013, 
Uh, the list goes on and on and on again. If, if simple multi-factor authentication was, was used, it would not have made headlines. There would not have been a security mm-hmm. breach. Yet again and again, here we are some nine years later after screaming and yelling how important multi-factor authentication, people still are not using it, especially in this pandemic world that we're still in where a lot of people are re- working remotely and they have the ability to use multi-factor authentication but because of convenience over security, they're not using it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the exact stat, but I, I seem to recall something in the low to mid 90% of all of these breaches would not have happened if multi-factor authentication was applied. I don't, I might be wrong about that number, but I wouldn't doubt it if it, if it was that because it's such a simple way to shore up your defenses. Um, It's not offered by everyone. That's unfortunate, but when it is offered, you, you know, you should, you should definitely use it. Um, And uh, I'm seeing also here on this, they're kind of takeaway. They, they mentioned the, so they mentioned the um, firewall that wasn't Mm -hmm. uh, properly configured. So maybe that's more of a human error thing. Uh, That's not uh, it's not, you know, not, uh, at this point in the game, I think not enabling multi-factor authentication is negligence and it should be yeah. seen as that. So if you have sh- cyber insurance, for instance, and you didn't do that, I don't think you should get a payout. And I think that's fair because you're, 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 you're kind of breaking the terms. You're not applying best practices. You're not doing your due diligence to protect yourself. It's, you know, you're leaving your door open and then mm-hmm. wanting the insurance company to cover your losses uh, that occurred from a robbery. So uh, uh, that's something to think about uh, for anyone yeah. who's debating the convenience versus inconvenience issue of uh, you know it, enabling MFA or 2FA. Yeah, that's a good um, point. I, I'm going to throw in there another one because this actually represents, in a recent stat put out by McAfee, um, 41% of ransomware affections are, again, tied to the most obvious thing, email phishing. Mm. And, and what does that tell you that, I mean, to me, that's kind of good news because you can actually teach and train people how to spot and avoid a scammer or a phishing email. So that that's very powerful or a text or a voicemail or whatever. There's different, different things, but it's predominantly email there. And the fact that it's 41% of all ransomware infections start with a phishing email um, in 2022, that that's very powerful. So I can never overemphasize enough how important it is just to educate your entire staff, janitor, CEO, everybody in between there, understand what a phishing email is, understand the connection to a ransomware, the importance of not being too quick to click on there and not pay a, a certain amount of money because it's very, very um, convincing, I guess you could say. I've seen them. I've seen them inside of our own company where engineers have pulled me aside and said, what is this Scott? And I'm like, stop. That's a targeted ransomware attack. It, it, it really targets everybody because again, how does it start? Spam emails, millions and millions upon millions of emails every day are sent out via spam to all our email boxes. And if it gets through our servers, it gets through a firewall and it's through our spam filters, our antivirus malware software, and it actually gets to our email and we happen to click on it, guess what? 
downloads that malicious software. So I think that the, the key is again and again and again, educate and just use caution. Don't click on that phishing email unless you're certain you know the origin and the source. Absolutely. Um, huge source of ransomware. And I guess just to round out and finish up our tip of the week, I would say um, back back up. You know, you got you to gotta back up your data um, because that arguably that could be the biggest source of ransomware because uh, most of these criminals are not going to demand ransomware if they wouldn't bother if they knew you had a, a recent backup that you, so that you could just completely wipe your your device, your machine, any of the infected uh, networks or devices. You just wipe those and then put your uh, you know your backed up data, provided it doesn't have the ransomware on it itself, mm-hmm. of course. So you got to run a malware, virus scan, and all those type of things, which you should be doing anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But you know you got to have backups locally. You got to have backups in the cloud. You got to have multiple backups, and as soon as you uh, restore from a, a safe, secure backup that's recent, you're good to go again. You can resume work and you could tell the uh, ransomware demands to, you know, go screw because go take a hike. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I'm going to add to that because you make a really good point. When we think about backup and often when I present on ransomware, um, Backing up our data does not prevent us from falling victim to a ransomware attack. It really just allows you a point to recover and it allows you to just mitigate risk. So if you do get ransomware, I always get, and I've gotten many calls from small business owners, Scott, I think we have ransomware. One of the employees clicked on this phishing attack. What do I do? Well, I always tell people first and foremost, immediately disconnect any infected devices from the networks to prevent spread of it. Because once ransomware gets on there, it spreads really quick, but you got to realize that you're locked out of your files. To your point, Craig, you got to have that backup and a regular backup. And what's important is what I encourage is go a step further, immutable backup. And what that means is the backup is disconnected from your network, disconnected from the internet, and it cannot be altered, modified, or deleted in any form. Because a lot of these hackers realize that they can target your backups that are on the cloud or other means, and now they could monkey with it and make it more difficult. So again, removing it from the network, removing it from the internet. Hmm. And I take it, what we have is a little policy that we set up here. We have somebody that goes around once a month, hits everybody's computers, critical files, IP, sensitive data, so on and so forth. And we, we, we back that up on a uh, a dense USB stick that then is put into a fire safe off premises, not connected into anything else. So if, and when we are victims and we are targeted often as a cybersecurity wireless company, we can revert to our backup. Um, it, it just makes sense. And again, it doesn't prevent anything, but it's just good, best cyber practices, back up your data, immutable backup is what I always encourage. Yeah. And it's best business practices too. We all use computers for everything at every business I could think of. Um, Every minute you're offline, it doesn't have to be because of a cyber attack. Your computer could have crashed. You might've lost your hard drive. You might've had a fire in the building, something, anything that destroys data, whether it's by accident or by malintent from a hacker or whatever, you know, every minute you're offline, you're losing money. So it's good business sense to back up uh, frequently 
and uh, keep that stuff readily available and obviously uh, secure from any kind of, uh, you know, hacker. Yeah, um, well said. Well, uh, I guess that brings us to the end of this episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. Um, Want to mention one last time that uh, this episode is sponsored by Dark Kryptonite. And you can learn more about Dark Kryptonite at uh, uh, their website, Dark kryptonite.com kryptonite is spelled with a c um want to before i say before we sign off just want to remind everyone that this podcast is available on youtube spotify google iheart apple amazon and many others uh if you like what you hear please subscribe and review our podcast we're we're anxious to hear all about what you think we want those we want five star reviews but we'll take any reviews because we want honest feedback that's important um questions and comments you dm us directly on twitter uh you could use scott's twitter account at scott bvs he's got a pretty uh, public profile there um but you know you could find them on linkedin and and visit or visit uh, scottschober.com and there's forms to fill out there if you want to give your feedback uh if we read your comment or question on the podcast we'll send you a signed copy of hacked again cybersecurity is everybody's business or senior cyber three of our hottest selling books uh well i guess that's it thanks for listening and tune in next week Want to, want to quickly want to apologize we did skip a week we missed last week because uh, we were i was traveling um ironically I, we were scott and i were in the same building in the same office <laughs> in, the, in the same room for a few days and yet it's it's actually harder than you think to do and kind of weird to do a zoom uh you know meeting and record it and do a podcast because because you're in the same room you know we don't have all the same uh microphone equipment and all the same computer setup not everything's up to date on on zoom and plus you're in the same you can't do it in the same room because you'll probably get feedback on each other's mics and stuff so there's technical uh limitations and also we were both really busy uh so apologize for missing a week but we'll try to make every week from now on um but this is uh in the meantime this is craig from the west coast signing off all right and this is scott here from the east coast thanks everybody for lift listening in and uh, stay safe talk to you next week